Marini's Media. Hello, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's Totally Football League show, Extra Time. We are Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. And George, I know we say it every week, but we have got a lot to discuss today. Please run me and the listeners through it. What have we got in store? Yeah, we have a very, very busy show for you today. Given the midweek fixtures, this is going to be the norm now for the rest of the season. So we go through the games in the Championship League One and League Two, picking out the best side, the best managerial performance and the best playing performance in each one. We have a guest on, comedian Ivo Graham, Swindon fan Ivo Graham, talks to us about this Saturday's A420 derby. Don't laugh, between Oxford United and Swindon Town. And with our sponsors, Paddy Power, we go through our favourite, our most exciting, our best fixtures throughout the three leagues this weekend. Not the only Derby in the EFL this weekend. Forest against Derby County looms large on Friday night. Right, everyone ready? Strap in. It's going to be quick. It's going to be breathless. Let's get it done. This is the Totally Football League show. Extra time in association with Paddy Power. Okay, so let's start getting our teeth into what's happened in the EFL this week on the pitch. It was the first set of midweek fixtures and they're here to stay. I think it's fair to say we've got many, many more rounds of midweek fixtures to come over the next few months. It's going to be a cascade of EFL football. And that's why it's quite nice for us to have this Thursday morning podcast so that we can look back at what's happened in the midweek fixtures. Because I I think sometimes when there's a round of midweek fixtures in the EFL, it almost feels like they're less important than a Saturday because there's less coverage of the games. They happen in the evenings. And as soon as Wednesday night is finished, people are looking ahead to the weekend. So we want to take this opportunity to do justice to what was a fascinating round of games across all three leagues. We're going to do it in the following format. For each EFL league, we have picked a team of the week, a team performance of the week, that is really a player of the week for each league and a manager of the week as well. So George, why don't you start with the championship team performance of the week? Who caught your eye the most in the championship? Yeah, our championship team of the week, the performance of the week goes to Huddersfield and beating Derby as they did 1-0 isn't necessarily the most impressive feat at the moment. Sorry, Derby fans, but Derby <laughs> in very poor form. But it's more, I guess, the manner of the win and the performances to go alongside. And in Carlos Corberan, we have a manager who's never been in this role before, who a lot has been said about his ties to Marcelo Bielsa, and that's the reason why he got this job. But early performances and early results suggested, you know, it may have been a bit of a dud. But since then, anything but. We've seen them beat Swansea. Mm. Last weekend, we saw them beat Forest live on Sky a couple of weeks ago. And here, beating Derby, meaning they are unbeaten in four. And they've won three of those four as well. And it's the style of play that goes alongside it. These aren't gritty wins. We've heard a lot about the reason why Huddersfield changed from the Cowley brothers to Corbrown was a desire to play a certain way. And with the fullbacks, Toffolo and Pieper, they're playing this attacking, high-press, high-fullback system that is really working and it's seen them create plenty of chances they had 20 shots against Derby it's seen them being pretty solid at the back as well uh, a shout out for a player in Carol Eiting whose uh, arrival at the club from Ajax raised some eyebrows he played for Ajax in the Europa League um, semi-finals last season against Getafe so he got some serious 
pedigree there and 22 years old. Since he's come into the team, that seems to have been the trigger for Huddersfield being able to dominate these games and at least dominate possession. Bakuna's goal, um, the only goal of the game on Tuesday night, was really special. If you want to see what we mean when we're talking about this Corbran side, just watch the Bakuna goal because it is a very, very quick, very slick counter-attack, all basically one-touch pass and move with Bakuna finishing the uh, the move off at the end. So this is a Huddersfield side who I think we're very quickly realising could be anything. You know, it's it's important to remember, despite their poor season in the last campaign, you know, they're newly relegated from the Premier League. So it wouldn't take much with this set of players necessarily to, to push them towards the top end of the championship. And if Corbran is the real deal, then we could see them get there. So well done, Huddersfield. Performance of the week. Yeah, absolutely loved that goal. And we've seen similar moves from Huddersfield over the last few weeks. It's it's not just that one goal that's caught our eye, but uh, a selection of performances, as you mentioned. And, uh, and Huddersfield, certainly one of the teams that I'd like to watch even more closely over the next few weeks as they continue to develop under Carlos Corberan. The player of the week in the championship. It was quite tough to choose one because there were a number of key performers. We've picked Ivan Tony, uh, and potentially a little like Huddersfield, this is rewarding him not just for one brilliant performance as it was Wednesday night, but also what's come in the last week or so. Uh, Ivan Tony, Brentford striker, has scored a brace in his last three league games. It's uh, an amazing run of goal scoring after taking, what, two and a half games to settle. He missed a fair few chances in his first two or three games in a Brentford shirt. And as you can imagine, having lost Ollie Watkins and with Watkins having started so well in the Premier League, there was obviously going to be some concern that Tony might either take a while to get going or simply not be Ollie Watkins and not have the same output as Watkins. I think that has been put to bed completely by this run of form. And it's so exciting because, well, firstly, we should say that playing up front for Brentford is a pretty sweet gig for any striker. If you look at the record of Brentford seasons over the last decade, they always have a striker that score goals. And to be honest, it's partly down to their style of play and down to the amount of chances that get created for them. But of course, they do plenty of due diligence in recruitment as well. And they are always confident that when they lose a player, the one that comes in will fit the bill. Tony's performance against Sheffield Wednesday and specifically a Sheffield Wednesday back three that was missing a few key players. Iorfa wasn't there. Burner is still on the bench. He hasn't made his way back into the team. And, and Flint, probably the most recognisable centre-back um, alongside Odebajo and Van Aken. Flint obviously having just joined, maybe not quite up to speed yet, but Tony bullied that back line uh, no more so than Odebajo for his second goal where he pinned him uh, as a corner came in, wrestled him with the ball in the air and then powerfully headed it past the goalkeeper Dawson. Uh, he's got the most English league goals in 2020. Ivan Tony, 17 in total. That's one more than Mo Salah, two more than Adam Armstrong. There will always be comparisons to Ollie Watkins, certainly early on this season. They are not the same player. And, and it's almost what excites me most about Tony is that Watkins' development over two years, we saw with our own eyes from a, a wide forward to a complete forward. Now, Tony arrives probably closer to being a complete forward than Watkins was upon his arrival at Brentford. And that's why I'm so excited to see how Tony develops under the tutelage of Brentford's coaching staff, which gets a lot of credit for its player development. He's got the physical attributes we saw on the weekend to dominate defenders, 
but clearly a goal scorer's instinct, which maybe Watkins developed over time and didn't have initially. Uh, it's really exciting for Brentford, especially having lost some key players during the window. How good are Brentford? Well, Tony's making it quite hard to know at the moment with this incredible conversion rate. Can he keep it up? Because if he can, clearly they're going to be right up there. They're still favourites for the title, but there are still a few issues with this Brentford side. You know, they're still trying to work out how best to replace Ben Rama. Godos played very well, uh, and that's a very positive sign for them as well. But it's difficult to know exactly how to rate Brentford at the moment because Tony is on such incredible form. I should say Ben Foster came highly commended in this category, uh, a week where his YouTube channel went viral. Hello everyone, welcome to today's video. This is another Away Days video. Anybody knows a better way to start your day than this? Go as well, you little beauty! What a goal, you big Come on, you big <laughs> He is perfect for YouTube. He's an incredible bloke, such an engaging character, very, very funny as well. He's, he's obsessed with cycling and fitness and, and he has basically turned the camera on himself uh, and given everyone a, a view into what it's like being Ben Foster, his YouTube channel going down very, very well and I would recommend reading that. So that's our, our player of the week, Ivan Tony. What about our manager of the week, George? We haven't seen Tony much at this level before, but we, that cannot be said for the championship manager of the week. Yeah, it is another fitness freak, as you say, Neil Warnock. Um, we've all seen the picture of him doing his medical a couple of years ago. Ali, I quite like to see your YouTube um, channel as well, given your your 10, 10k runs every day at the moment. I think you should have locked working those. on it. But, uh, <laughs> but Neil Warnock, I mean, very quietly, Middlesbrough are unbeaten in five championship games. If you look back at those games as well, they they broke Reading's winning streak with a nil-nil draw. Here, they've inflicted Bristol City's first defeat of the season. So you could even argue that the the results they're getting are, are kind of against the best sides in the league. Their only defeat so far in the championship on opening day against Watford, a, a game that Neil Warnock certainly didn't think his team deserved to lose. But this 1-0 win over Bristol City had Warnock written all over it, coming up against a side who many other teams have really struggled to to play against, have struggled to know how to handle the plethora of attacking players they've got at their disposal. The front two of Martin and Wells have caused so many issues so far this season. They were completely toothless. Both were brought off after 70 minutes, which says a lot about the job that Middlesbrough were doing on them. Patterson and Vyman, the two kind of advanced eights who as well really struggling to get involved in the game. And the goal itself is one that Dean Holden, the Bristol City manager, will not want to watch again. Taylor Moore dallying on the ball just outside his own area, being nicked, ball being taken off him by George Saville, who then put it away. But it's Neil Warnock in a goal. It's persistence. It's being scrappy. It's finding those fine margins and exploiting them as well. They limited Bristol City to very little indeed. They were good value for their win. It wasn't spectacular. It wasn't really necessarily pretty. Johnny Housen was very, very good playing just in front of the back three of Fry, McNair and Dyke Steele, who are also excellent. And it just feels like, again, Middlesbrough under Neil Warnock are going to be very, very hard to beat. We're seeing this now. We're seeing consistently how good they can be and what a tune he can get out of a certain group of players. And, you know, you mentioned at the top of the show that sometimes midweek games don't get the coverage they deserve. This feels like it's a win that probably will slide under the radar a little bit, unless you're listening to this podcast. But Borough, certainly one to watch under Warnock in the coming weeks. Away to Cardiff this Saturday, Middlesbrough. Warnock will be itching to get a win over his former side. 
This news just in, listeners. The Athletic is extending its £1 a month offer for all new subscribers, meaning you can get unrivaled analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, plus a brand new breaking news service and ad-free versions of all of The Athletic's podcasts for just a quid. This deal won't last forever, though, so don't miss out. Sign up today at theathletic.com slash league show. Okay, let's take a look at League One now. I'm going to talk you through the team performance of the week. A pretty easy choice, despite the fact there were no draws in League One this midweek. So 12 winning sides to choose from. You cannot get past Doncaster beating Ipswich 4-1 on Tuesday night because this was an Ipswich side that had motored to the top of the table, that were barely conceding any goals and who were getting plenty from certainly their wingers, Guion Edwards and Freddie Sears, uh, who were providing the goal-scoring touch. But we said on the podcast this week that Ipswich had bigger tests ahead, that actually, if we're being honest, they'd had a pretty nice run of fixtures and we would find out more about them this week. Well, the first test did not go well, but that's not to take anything away from Doncaster Rovers, who themselves in the space of three days beat Portsmouth at Fratton Park and Ipswich Town 4-1. They went down 1-0 after 15 minutes to the Tractor Boys in midweek. So again, you can see the character being shown by Darren Moore's side. And really, this one was about seizing on Ipswich mistakes and punishing them. You probably wouldn't say it was a 4-1 game on the balance of play and on the chances created. But Doncaster, with uh, a really good structure out of possession and they're a team that can press when the time is right and can force mistakes from their opposition that's exactly what they did here notably once they were already ahead uh, at that fourth goal that gave them uh, a three goal cushion was just seizing on uh, poor passing out of the back from Ipswich Town notable performers well Ben Whiteman took the headlines he scored two goals having said that although he's one of our favorite players in league one one of them was a cross that went all the way in and the other one was a penalty so we're not going to give him too much credit for his goal scoring although his midfield play was as good as ever i tell you who's caught my eye josh sims on loan from southampton we've spoken before about darren moore seemingly being trusted by premier league sides to look after and develop their talented loan players they've got six of them which means one loanee at Donny is always going to be left out of the matchday squad. You can only have five loanees in your matchday squad. Sims is making the case for him, him always being involved. He got the assist for the winner against Pompey on Saturday, which will have been sweet for a Southampton player, uh, and two assists on Tuesday night as well. Probably most impressively is that once Donny went ahead, they saw the game out pretty comfortably. Ipswich only had three shots in total in the second half. We've been calling them the dark horses of League One Doncaster. We may have to change that nickname soon. It won't apply if they keep picking up results like this because if they were under the radar previously, they're not going to be for very long. Doncaster Rovers, the performance of the midweek in League One. George, which manager are we giving most credit for one of the 12 wins in League One this midweek? In this job, you have to give credit where credit's due and it's going to a manager who we've both been critical of in the past and it's Brian Barry Murphy of Rochdale. Um, we've, we've said so many times last season and this season, you know, Brian Barry Murphy has a style of play that he likes to implement. It is keeping possession. It is passing the ball around the back. 
and it often is both toothless in attack and leaves them vulnerable to, to the press and, and people picking up the ball in high areas, in dangerous areas to score against them. So it's been frustrating to watch at times, but this was a massive win for them away at Burton. They won 1-0, two sides who it looks fairly likely, unless there's a big turnaround in fortunes, are going to be rivals down towards the bottom end of League One. A very early relegation six-pointer, if you will. And we said, we've said many times this season, Rochdale have to find another way to win. And that's exactly what they did here. They didn't have possession. They had 45.6% possession. They kept it very, very tight indeed. They looked to get the ball forward quickly. They restricted Burton to, to many chances. It was a fairly even game. But I think just in terms of the way that Murphy showed that he was willing against the side of Burton, who don't necessarily like to keep the ball, he was willing to sit off, willing to let them have it and willing to, to, to spring and break on the counter. So, you know, it's not necessarily the most glamorous result, the most glamorous tie in League One, but just in terms of a pure management performance, given the stick we've given him in the past, I think it's only fair looking at the numbers, looking at the stats behind the game and also the importance that it could show just in terms of beating another side down at the bottom away from home at the Pirelli. I think we have to give credit to, for Brian Barry Murphy to finding another way to play and finding a way to win. Now it's time for Player of the Week in League One. It's actually a loanee on loan from Nottingham Forest in the Championship. He plays for Lincoln City. It's Brennan Johnson. Now he is very popular with Forest fans. Many of them unhappy to have seen him loaned out in the first place because his performances for Forest's reserve teams and development teams and under-18 teams have always been very positive and in flashes with the first team, with minimal opportunities, he has shown that he's got rare quality. He's got this mixture of speed, agility, balance and skill that is so exciting for a young player uh, and he can play all across the front line. In midweek, in their win against Plymouth, he was the star man, the star man in the whole league, I reckon, on Tuesday night. He played off the right, he drifted over to the left at times and Argyle could not get a grip on him. Any space to move into, Johnson was finding it. But the quality and speed with which he can move with the ball is so, so notable. It, it makes him stand out. A really promising performance from someone Forrest hopes for. What did he actually do? Well, he won a penalty. It might have been soft. You might even go as far as to say he bought it with a little bit of gamesmanship but he's clearly got a knack for it he's won three penalties in three games so far and for Lincoln that is helping them pick up points to keep them towards the top of, of this early league one table he also scored his first senior goal uh, it's a, a moment that he will surely never forget and, and probably for someone who is a you know first and foremost a, a quick you'd go as far as to say diminutive wide player or forward player it was a, a header on the bounce that found the corner. It was a great piece of improvisation uh, and brilliant quality for his first ever senior goal. Whether or not Forest fans would prefer him to be making appearances off the bench for Chris Hewton, you have to look at the players that they've brought in, even in the last week or so with Knockart coming in, potentially Kamil Grisitsky as well. That one's not been confirmed yet. You have to say that getting actual senior league minutes albeit one league below the championship, playing for a manager in Michael Appleton that has a brilliant track record of developing young talent has got to be a good place for Johnson to be. And, and hopefully these performances will be repeated throughout the season. With Loney's, you get, you know, they catch your eye with the odd flashes of brilliance. Then the next objective is to do that consistently. Johnson looks like a hell of a player. He's playing for a good Lincoln side. Player of the week in League One. 
Right, let's go to the fourth tier now and review the League Two set of midweek fixtures, starting with the team performance of the week, George. Again, quite a few contenders, maybe not one obvious standout. Who have you chosen for this? Well, it's lucky, Ali, that we have to be positive on the Totally Football League show extra time because if we were doing a worse performance of the week, it would undoubtedly go to Tranmere Rovers. But we have to give their opposition on the day, Leighton Orient, all the credit as well because they were absolutely brilliant in their 1-0 win at Prenton Park. They were good value for a much more resounding victory than just the solitary goal. And it comes off the back of some really difficult results for them. They did get a point away at Barrow despite being down to 10 men for about 80 minutes of that game. But since then, defeats against Walsall and Grimsby have kind of put a bit of a dampener to any pre-season optimism. But this was a game against one of the pre-season favourites for the League Two title where they were completely dominant. They were so solid at the back. Dan Happy, who is one of the... who was the player who got sent off against Barrow, such a talented young centre-back, was a colossus at the back. We had Joby McEnough rolling back the years with a couple of efforts. Um, I heard that he would have been his first goal in three and a half years had one of them gone in. Danny Johnson scored his eighth goal in all competitions. They had 17 shots to Tranmere's five. They were dominated possession. They controlled the game so easily, keeping Tranmere at bay throughout. It was just a performance that is so far above what we've seen from them so far this season, although they were slightly unfortunate to lose to Grimsby mid uh, on the weekend. But Tranmere... Whether it was Leighton Orient's performance, whether it was their own short for all, we can't really say, but they were very, very poor indeed. But um, you know, this was a game where if it had ended 2-0, 3-0, it would have been an easy choice for, for performance of the, of, the, of the midweek. And it easily could have been that on the balance of play. Delighted for friend of the pod, Danny Johnson, DJ doing it again. What a season he is having and what a what a nice bloke he was as well when he joined us a few weeks ago. I'm going to talk about a striker that's scoring even more goals than Danny Johnson in League Two. An astonishing early season goal scoring record from player of the week, Paul Mullen, Cambridge United striker, or as he prefers to go by, top goal scorer in European football. <laughs> 10 goals in seven games, a scarcely believable record, slightly boosted by a couple of penalties, but not fully. Uh, a hat-trick against Port Vale in midweek, a Vale side that had conceded only two goals in their first six games until Paul Mullen came to town. A relentless movement at the moment from Mullen. He's got the teammates who are on the same wavelength as him, not just Wes Houlihan, but a couple of nice assists as well. Harrison Dunk got one of them. Such confidence in his finishing. I think we all know what it looks like when there's a striker on form, fully confident in what he's doing. And it is one of football's great sights. That's what Mullin has at the moment. He's making all the right runs. And as soon as he's played in, it just feels like it's a guaranteed goal. So can he go one better than Owen Doyle last season, who scored an insane amount of goals in League Two? Early signs are pretty good. Five goals in his last two, 10 in seven in the league this season. And it's just so nice. And you get these stories in the EFL sometimes as well. It's why football is gloriously unpredictable. For Mullen, this is someone who's been in League Two for the last, well, seven or eight seasons and has had a very consistent goal-scoring record of no better than one goal every three or four games. For Morecambe, he scored eight and then nine and then eight in 40-odd games per season. For Swindon, six in 40. For Tranmere, five in 22, three in 20. 
And last season on loan at Cambridge, just two in six. Well, 10 in seven, it's absurd numbers. It, it's a real throwback. And he's a bit of a throwback striker as well because he's not just a goal scorer, um, but can hold up play as well and bring others into play. Uh, we're really excited about this Cambridge side. We, sp- we spoke to their head coach, Mark Bonner, on this podcast just a few weeks ago and he talked us through why they're having such early season success. Paul Mullin, a big part of it. He's our player of the week. We're not giving Bonner manager of the week because we want to spread the joy a little bit, Can't George. double up, no. Exactly. So tell me, who is the League Two manager of the week? It is Steve Ball, a manager who we haven't spoken too much about, but he is the Colchester United manager. He took over from John McGreal in the summer and his Colchester side beat Forest Green 1-0. And this may look on the face of it like a regulation home win between two sides who were both, you know, decently two sides last season. Colchester, of course, a playoff side who finished above Forest Green. But if you look at how the season has started so far for both sides, it's anything but. Colchester have struggled. They've won one league game before this all season. That was at home to Bolton. Since then, they've been conceding so many goals. Three against Oldham in a three-all draw, one against Walsall in a one-all draw. Conceded three against Carlisle on the weekend as well. So you can see they're really struggling to keep goals out, unlike Forest Green, scoring for absolute fun, the most shots in League Two as well to go with the most goals. So this looked like a difficult ask for Colchester, but Steve Ball found a way to win. Again, it's what we said about Brian Barry Murphy, another manager who needed to win. This wasn't necessarily a fantastic performance. Uh, Forest Green had plenty of opportunities, as you'd expect, to, to get the win. But... They scored after two minutes. Miles Welch is crossing for 19-year-old Noah Chilvers to, to score. So being ahead that early against a side with the attacking proficiency of Forest Green was always going to be tough. But they dug in and they got the job done. So a backs-to-the-wall, important, crucial win at home for Colchester and for Steve Ball himself. Just his second league win in charge of the club. Noah Chilvers. He's got the name of a 1950s footballer uh, and he's, <laughs> he's had a very good start to the season. Now he's broken into this Cole U side. OK, well, that's the midweek action rounded up in the EFL. Now it's time to look ahead to a mouthwatering weekend in the Football League. It's the start of lockdown two out there, listeners. So grab your curry verse, dust off your lederhosen and fire up the umpire band. Because it's Oktoberfest and our friends at Beer 52 want to celebrate the world's biggest beer festival by giving all Totally listeners a free case of eight German craft beers. All you have to do is head to beer52.com football and cover the cost of shipping, which is a mere £5.95. Beer 52, as you all know by now, are beer pioneers and they've visited the finest small batch breweries in Germany to bring you ABK, 6% Feistbier, Buro Brauerei's Weizen, Lemke's Spree Coast German IPA and many, many more. Most of these beers have never, ever been seen in the UK and with Brexit round the corner, well, it's unlikely you'll ever see them again. You can choose a light, dark or mixed case and the best thing with Beer 52 is that there's absolutely no minimum commitment. If you want, you can just take this free case, try the beers and if you decide it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to beer52.com slash football and get your free case of eight craft beers today. That's the word beer and the number 52.com slash football. One last time, beer52.com slash football for Oktoberfest. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic. This is the Totally Football League Show with Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. 
Next up, it is our games of the weekend, and we're mixing it up a little bit to make room for our guest on today's podcast, comedian Ivo Graham. Of course, my game of the weekend in League One is Oxford United hosting Swindon Town. It is the biggest game of my year. It's the biggest game of every single Swindon and Oxford fans season. The two sides haven't played for a long time. Oxford's recent record is very, very good indeed. So we thought it would be in the name of balance. We thought we'd bring in a Swindon fan and no one better than my old friend Ivo to come and talk to us about the big A420 derby on Saturday. So since we've been doing this podcast, uh, as an Oxford fan, I've had to change my attitudes towards Swindon and Swindon Town because it's fair to say, before I worked uh, covering the EFL, I wasn't a massive fan of the club, surprisingly. Uh, But one person did change that, an old friend of mine, a Swindon fan, in the now comedian Ivo Graham. And I'm delighted that Ivo is here to join us. Ivo, thank you very much for taking the time in your Ford Focus to have a chat to us ahead of the massive A420 derby on Saturday. (laughs) Um, Hello, George. Hello, Ali. (laughs) It's lovely to be both with you and in the Focus as ever. Um, Thanks for that incredibly generous um, intro. I can't say that being friends with you has changed my um, visceral, intrinsic hatred towards Oxford United (laughs) at all. Um, but it's a pleasure to know that I've I've mollified things slightly. I think it was more a case of showing that I, I did speak to Swindon fans before I had to change rather than anything else. But, you know, it's one of those derbies between Oxford and Swindon, I always think, where we, when magazines and, and, and papers and stuff do the list of the 20 biggest derbies in the UK, this is always the one where it says at the beginning, oh, you might not know about this one, but it is really is fierce. And, and I think that's kind of true. Yes, there's... <laughs> There's always this this preface of like, now give us a minute here, because we know you're probably not going to care about this. Um, I I mean, I think it's bigger than that, obviously, although it's it, it's not made for a happy derby in pretty much most of my football supporting adulthood. Um, and I can't say I'm massively confident about tomorrow changing that either. So I do have to sort of feign a bit more apathy about it because otherwise I'm just going to get my heart broken again and again. Wait, I'm just going to set the scene for those who aren't um, as au fait with the history of the A420 derby as, as you and I. The clubs have played eight times since 2002. Seven of those have resulted in Oxford victories. One has resulted in a draw followed by a penalty shootout win for Swindon in you know, what is the Football League trophy. Oxford fans choose to ignore that, given it's a competition with under-21 clubs involved. So seven in a row is the chant that comes from Oxford. The last time the teams met, Ali and I were both there at the county ground. Rob Hall hit it in from 25 yards to make it 2-1. The game ended with Chris Maguire walking around the county ground with seven fingers in the air, making a crying face at Nathan Thompson. Just the one hand, though, (laughs) amazingly. That's what we'd say about you. I mean, how? I mean, I personally find these games very difficult to watch now because it feels like we've got so much to lose, having not lost to you since two thousand and one. Surely there must mm. be an excitement on your part this Saturday. I mean, you you haven't really got much further down to go, have you? Um, I think we're I think we're almost uh, in the identically same boat at the moment, hovering above the relegation zone. I think we need it for. Uh, just any sort of momentum to bounce back, really. We've lost four in a row. Uh, and, you know, the the ratio of one, two, lost five isn't terrible for a promoted team. But I think Richie Wellens garnered such excitement and such a sense of um, 
I don't know, sort of positivity and, and, and sort of relentlessness last season that I think a few people started to think we were just going to waltz through this division as well. Um, so if we can't do that, then let's please at least get some Derby dignity back um, because otherwise it's going to be a doubly painful season. Obviously, either last season could not have gone any better. I imagine one of your favourite seasons following Swindon Town. I think it could have gone better, actually. <laughs> I think there could not have been a global pandemic and we could have finished the season winning the champion, the, the, the division um, on its own footballing terms uh, rather than um, seeing our entire future uh, jeopardised. But I do see that, obviously, that I see the point you're making, that it's very nice to have won the league even on a points-per-game calculation. And thus I'm, far, we're not in terrible. I'm not a heckler at one of your shows, by the way. You can't just you can't just put, you can't just put me down in front of everyone. I fully my support point, it. My question my question was going to be, Ivo, that last year you had a number of you know real heroes to cheer on: Owen mm. Doyle, Jerry Yates, Michael Doughty, none of whom are, are part of this current Swindon side in League One. Clearly, Wellens yes. is very popular with because of what he's managed to do uh, as manager of the club. But who are the new heroes for you this season? Well, I th we held on to a couple. Um, I think the retention of uh, Dialang Jaisimi and of Anthony Grant was huge. Um, I think if we'd lost them as, as well as the strikers, there would have been a real doom and gloom around the club. And then we did sign all these like quite exciting players, most of them called Smith. Um, and uh, Matt Smith from Arsenal has been, I think, particularly exciting and has filled um, the doughty-shaped hole in midfield, um, both in, in terms of sort of silkiness of passing and hair. Um, but I don't know, I don't know really um, if we can say that the team has thus far completely replaced everyone it's lost. Um, I mean, the goals... We've scored a few. The, the defence has been the main thing, to be honest. We were very, very solid last season. Uh, again, another loss was our lone goalkeeper, Stephen Bender, the big effing German. He's gone back to Swansea. And we've got a guy called Kovar, translates as Smith, um, from Man United. And uh, he's quickly become something of a pariah on the various Swindon WhatsApp groups that I'm a part of. Um, we haven't kept a clean sheet yet. But Doyle is the main one. So the eagle-eared amongst you might have noticed a bit of a change of background noise for Ivo. A few technical issues mean that he's swapped his his car for what sounds like a cafe. It's Hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> it, there's quite a sort of vagrant vibe to the whole thing from me. I mean, I've got a car and I've got access to a cafe, but is that all I have? Have you managed to get a coffee in the cafe? Um, I've managed to get a croissant and uh, I'll get a coffee depending on how complacent I'm feeling at the end of this A420 Derby preview. Fine. Well, let's get into it um, or, or more pick up from where we were. I mean, this, this is a game that in the last 10, 15 years has always had flashpoints. Uh, in the two last league meetings between the two, Lawrence Figaro was sent off in both. I am gutted he won't be in goal for Swindon. Before that, it was James Constable being sent off for an elbow after 10 minutes the year before After that, nearly signing for Swindon as well. That after, was the real narrative was, point. And then there was Paolo Zaccagno telling fans that he was, James, James Constable was a, was a Swindon fan before he scored a brace and kissed the badge. So my question to you is, which Swindon players can you see providing the flashpoints on Saturday if there is to be more drama? Very good question. 
Um, I don't think we have a full-scale agent provocateur in the shape of a Vigaru or a Decanio, or at least they haven't really revealed themselves yet. I think we're quite a sort of young, polite team, and okay. because we've got a lot of low knees, there's maybe not, not that they aren't all giving it their best, there's maybe not that total affiliation with the badge and what it means. I'd say Paul Caddis, our captain, um, is probably the man to try and instill some sort of passion and pride into the team. He's played in this derby before. Mm. He's probably not going to play in a lot more of them. There's already, if I may be very treacherous, signs that he's not quite got the pace for League One anymore. But maybe he will try to replace that with some mentality. <laughs> and some smack talk on Saturday afternoon. Ivo, uh, this has all been far too nice and polite, I'm afraid. And, and look, we're a, we're a group of, of pretty pleasant blokes in general, but we're talking about a spicy derby, one of the spiciest in the yes. EFL. What I'd like to know deep down, and, and you can say this even though George is on the line, is despite the obvious geographical uh, rivalry, there is a lot of hatred here. When you think about Oxford United and the little slugs that support them, what springs to mind? What is it that really gets your goat about this team that play in yellow? Well, I feel a mixture of hatred and, to be honest, compassion for their miserable lives. Um, <laughs> I think about what it must be like to have to pick your way through the beautiful university town uh, of Oxford, my loyalty to which does not compromise my feelings about this derby, and have to travel out to Blackbird Lays to watch um, broadly, even though the last few years have, been, have seen a few upshoots, broadly quite miserable football uh, in a, and I'm sorry to go to the lowest hanging fruit here, three-sided stadium. Um, <laughs> clinging to these victories against Swindon, these largely irrelevant victories as proof of some sort of pride which is clearly lacking from any other facet of their lives. Um, so all the very best of luck on Saturday, um, but it doesn't matter. We are on the upward trajectory, as long as Wellens doesn't go to Salford, and Oxford missed their chance last year and they ain't going to get it again. Ivo, for someone who is educated at Oxford, you should know that every stadium has four sides. It may have three stands, but Please. I'm afraid we've got... I'm afraid we've got four sides. And as, I brought shame on my degree. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> and as someone who, myself, a cultured man who often looks at the Oxford Playhouse, um, you know, the, the, the listings as to what's going on, <laughs> under Saturday, the 24th of October, which is this Saturday, I see a lovely gig at uh, 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock starts. Doors open 30 minutes earlier. Sophie Duker, Sarah Pascoe, Rhys James. Ah, and Ivo Graham. Who so you're going to be behind enemy lines on Saturday. It's a fantastic coincidence that I couldn't have planned even if I tried. Um, and it would have been quite an effort to have tried to do that in these pandemic hit times when any gig could be cancelled at any moment's notice. If the gig goes ahead, that'll be a lot of fun at the Oxford Playhouse, but I'm not here to promote that. I'm here to discuss with you, an Oxford fan, whether it's realistic to turn up a few hours early and try and watch the game <laughs> over the fence. How big a vehicle do I need to commandeer and how much will I need to sweet talk the local rosers? Uh, the first one, not a very big vehicle, it's quite a small fence. On the second, I couldn't possibly uh, comment. Would, would you agree, <laughs> if, if Oxford win by three goals, will you do the gig in an Oxford shirt, paid for by us? I think that's a fantastic promise, which I'm very happy to make. I've tied myself in knots, but I will wear the shirt. OK, great stuff. Thank you very much, Ivo, for joining us. Fingers crossed I'll be sending you a text rather than the, than the other way around at about 5.30 on Saturday. 
how will you get the shirt to me that quickly? The admin challenge for you is hefty, but I'm sure you'll come through with the goods. Not that you'll have to, we're going to win. At Paddy Power, we know competition for the remote control can be fierce at the weekends. So, in order to give the non-football-loving occupants of your house something to do, here are some of our top suggestions. Go for a walk. Walk the dog. Walk to the shops. Go cycling. Cycle the dog. Recycle the dog. Just go! All very good options, we say. And that's not the only one. If one leg of your 4 plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet on all football leagues and all markets. Paddy Power. Max free bet £10. Min odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive. Exclude shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League show Extra Time with George Ellick and Ali Maxwell. Sponsored by Paddy Power. And now, as ever, on the Totally Football League show Extra Time, it is time to preview our most exciting, our best, our favourite games from each league this weekend. That's off the back of us there, previewing Oxford versus Swindon, the A420 derby with Ivo Graham. And as ever, with our sponsors, Paddy Power, we give the prices for each game as well. So there, Oxford United are 10 to 11 favourites to win the derby. The draw is 12 to 5. Swindon, 13 to 5. So odds on that it's going to be eight in a row. Ali, how do you follow that? How do you follow the biggest derby in the EFL? Pretty easily, to be honest, George. Thanks for, for teeing me up there. I follow that by talking about a much better derby. Not only that, but a match... Oh that has a team literally called Derby in it. (laughs) Friday night's game between Nottingham Forest and Derby. We are missing being able to go to games. We know that everyone listening to the pod most likely uh, is a fan of an EFL club and is sorely missing going to games. And I have to be honest, it's these games especially um, that that make you realise what we're missing because a Friday night game at the city ground, under the lights, with the atmosphere crackling. I mean, there's nothing better than that. We will have to make do with a football match without fans, but it's a very, very significant one. And far be it to put more pressure on a manager that certainly doesn't need any more pressure applied. It does feel like a significant game and moment in the tenure of Philip Koku, the Derby manager. He, he picked up a vote of confidence from Chairman Mel Morris this week. Everyone's got a different view as to whether a vote of confidence is actually anything but, but he needs to pick up some results. Just three points for Derby, that one win in six games and five defeats, only two goals scored. Going forward, they cannot get it right. They failed to score in four of their six league games so far this season. And Koku, like so many other managers, including Nottingham Forest's former manager, Sabri Lamucci, is chopping and changing a lot at the moment in order to try and hit on the right shape, the right personnel in the right positions to try and just get something more out of this Derby side. Because the problem is, especially with Wayne Rooney missing at the moment, he is self-isolating. We know they have a lot of talented players, a lot of talented young players. What they don't appear to have at the moment is the sort of leaders that you need to drag everyone upwards and to try and put something together for this Derby side to, to perform better on the pitch. That They are by no means this terrible side that's getting battered every week, don't get me wrong, but there's such an obvious and clear lack of confidence in the side uh, and especially going forward. The problem is they come up against a Forest side who will be playing their third game under Chris Hewton. It's a great 
time for Hewton to have this, I think, as his third game in charge. He's had two games to take a look at what he's got at his disposal and what a squad it is, by the way. He's picked up four points from two games. And I think this Forest side, in contrast to Derby, who are visibly lacking confidence, that was the case for Forest to start the season under Lamucci. It's not the case anymore. They look a lot more assured already under Hewton. They've settled straight into a, a 4-2-3-1 shape with Luke Freeman playing number 10, drifting all over the place, finding pockets of space to deliver quality. Lolly and Amiobi on the wings have been excellent. Of course, they picked up Knockart as well on loan, so he could be involved in this one. In last season's game between these two sides, or rather the second game between them, we had a 97th minute winner from Chris Martin, a game that Forrest controlled and that sucker punch right at the end for Derby that nicked a point. And to be honest, it felt looking back like a really key moment in Lamucci's reign, reign as things really changed for the worse. It's live on TV on Friday night. It's going to be an absolute cracker. Koku will be desperately hoping for a better performance from Derby. Otherwise, Forrest might have a good time here. Uh, I can't wait for this one. It's not really a, a predictions segment, but I did say it. I think Forrest could have a good time here. Paddy Power, who are setting the odds, they agree, to be honest. Forrest 19 to 20 as we record on Thursday morning. The draw 9 to 4 and Derby 3 to 1. It would take something very unexpected for Derby to leave with all three points. But in these games, maybe we should expect the unexpected. George, what are you picking in the championship this weekend? Yeah, the good news here is that our games are on at different times, so you could watch both. And the reason I'm choosing this game is because I think it's the best match for the neutral. It's two attacking sides, and they are Huddersfield and Preston. We've covered Huddersfield already in the podcast, so I'm not going to spend too much time talking about them. But as mentioned, Corbrand's team are now playing a very attractive brand of attacking football. And there are loads of fun individual players that I'd recommend keeping an eye on. The two fullbacks, Pieper, the right back, 22 years old, joined in the summer. And Harry Toffolo, who's having a brilliant start to the season, was brought in by the Cowleys from Lincoln, 25-year-old left back with a couple of assists and a goal to his name. One of those assists coming in midweek. I'd also recommend looking at Carol Lighting, who I mentioned on loan from Ajax, the ball-playing centre midfielder. Josh Caroma, who plays on the left-hand side of a front three, who was brought in from Leighton Orient. Uh, he played in the National League before moving to Huddersfield. It's a young, vibrant, exciting side, and they're a side who are starting to click under Corboran coming up against Preston. And we've said a few times in the last couple of weeks, who is the best team in the championship? Could I put a case forward? I'm not going to say Preston are the best side, but Preston away from home. Are they the best side in the championship? Because four ga three games, sorry, we've seen them have away from home this season in the league. A tall draw away at Norwich, a 4-2 win at Brentford, which still stands out as one of the results of the season so far. And then a very comfortable 2-0 win away at QPR uh, yesterday. Albeit those two goals were penalties, they were still very, very good value for their win. And they have a knack of picking up penalties. Alex Neal employs this kind of curious decision it says a lot about how many many penalties they get that he does this quite a lot where if they get two penalties in the game then two different takers take them so Daniel Johnson scored the first yesterday Scott Sinclair scored the second 2-0 and job done but Alex Neal is a very attacking coach we've seen that before they, they have one style of play which they stick to very much on the front foot Huddersfield look to be the same and therefore I think in a league where there have been too many games this season that have been cagey back threes against back threes and the like 
I think we're more likely to see a more open encounter here and probably a few goals as well, as shown by the fact that Preston have scored eight goals in their three away league games so far. And Huddersfield really starting to come into their own as an attacking side. So if come three o'clock you want to watch a game, you're gonna you're gonna you know, you're gonna pay an iFollow to watch one and you you don't choose to watch Oxford versus Swindon for some bizarre reason, then I I reckon Huddersfield Preston could be the way to go for some excitement. And Paddy Power have you covered for the odds as well. Huddersfield are the outsiders here, maybe unsurprising given Preston's away form. Huddersfield seven to four. The draw is eleven to five. Preston North End six to four favourites. Interesting you say that, George. I will be watching a game at three PM on Saturday. Uh, it won't be Oxford against Swindon, and it won't be Huddersfield against Preston. I'm going to be watching Sunderland against Portsmouth in League One. This has developed into a rivalry of sorts. You would obviously be wrong to call it a derby, but certainly since these two teams have been in League One together in the last two years, this has become very, very tasty indeed, and pretty even on the pitch as well. This is, or will be, the eighth time they've played each other in less than two years. So very well acquainted with each other, Sunderland and Portsmouth, and two teams, as always, that are harbouring ambitions with some desperation mixed in, I think it's fair to say, now that the salary cap has been introduced in League One, to get promoted back into the second tier. Sunderland come into this and they could barely be in better form. They haven't conceded a goal since the third minute of their match on opening day. So that is essentially five games and 87 minutes worth, not including injury time, where they haven't conceded. That goal was a penalty, so if you want to do further impressive defensive stats you could say Sunderland still haven't conceded a goal from open play and it's not even that they're relying on goalkeeping brilliance that's no disrespect to Lee Burge but they've only faced 11 shots on target in their six games and that's an unbelievable record by far the best in the division and it points to a brilliant defensive system set up by Phil Parkinson. Whether they have injuries to the back line, which they have had plenty of, and suspensions in the last few weeks, other players have filled in, sometimes not even natural central defenders, but the system itself seems good enough to keep the opposition at bay. So Pompey will have to work hard here. The good news, I suppose, for Pompey is, even though they're not happy with their start to the season, they've got 11 points from seven games. They're in eighth place, but it's the games that they've drawn or lost that seem to have picked up more headlines than the three so far that they've won. One thing that they can't really argue with is that they do create quite a lot of chances. They've got the second highest expected goal number in the league, Pompey. So it's converting the chances that's held them back in those four games that they haven't won this season. And also at times looking pretty shaky at the back themselves. Sunderland by no means fluid and fluent, creating ton of chances going forward. But Charlie White just looks to have gained a bit of confidence in the last few weeks. He actually had a goal taken off him in midweek. It was given as an own goal, but his general hold up play was excellent. And he looks like he's growing a a little bit more confident uh, in a Sunderland shirt, which could prove the difference maker between them maybe making the playoffs and finishing in the top two. Sunderland looking good for it at the moment. Portsmouth need to improve, but a, a good 2-0 win 
against Gillingham in midweek and notably John Marquis scoring a really well-taken goal. So that's two strikers in Wyke and Marquis, both often maligned for poor finishing for their current clubs, both heading into this game with a bit more confidence. It's going to be an absolute cracker at the Stadium of Light. I can't wait for it. Paddy Power have Sunderland unsurprisingly as the favourites for this one. 11 to 10 though, so not strong favourites you wouldn't say because the threat of Portsmouth is real they are 13-5 to to win this game and the draw which always seems quite likely in these big games between these two teams is 21-10 to so that's what I'll be watching at 3 o'clock on Saturday it's going to be an absolute smasher and I can't wait <laughs> for it what about League 2 what have you got for me this weekend sell something to me well as with all good League 2 previews I'm going to take you back to July 1993 Ali, July 1993. This feels like an EFL rewind, doesn't it? From back in the day. That's for the ultras out there. Um, but in July 1993, a small ginger-haired midfielder was given the 24 shirt at Manchester United. What followed was about 500 Premier League appearances, over 100 goals. And now he finds himself as manager of Salford City, just in the interim basis. Back in 1993, his counterpart on Saturday, John Yems, was manager of Horsham. And somehow, through the last 20, 30 years, it's ended up with these two meeting on Saturday as opposition managers in a League Two fixture. John Yems, not poor skulls, is the man who has gone viral this week. And I'll leave, if you haven't heard it yet, then now is the time to hear it. John, thanks for joining us. Uh, a tough and ultimately disappointing evening here at Exeter tonight. Disappointing, I suppose so, but we deserve what we got in the end, which was nothing. You can't defend like we did. Well, I wouldn't say defend, but you know, you, you come to this place hard enough to score here. We should have had an at full, we didn't. They're a good side, Exeter. You know, I know we've got my allegiance with them and they won't give in. But it seemed like some of us did. There's a few people in the second half, John, who sort of raised their eyebrows a little bit at, at Max Waters coming off, given that he got the goal and caused so many problems in the first half. Was that a, a tactical issue or, or was he still trying to gain more match fitness? Do you think I give a monkeys of what people think of the decisions we make? So just that's our decision when we made that. So people that think that they want to ask, just have a look at how the boy was running, for starters. So it's a ridiculous question. We decide when people come off the pitch and it, don't care what people say in the stands, they mind their own business. It was a, not a fluke goal, but an unfortunate goal that's ultimately decided the game tonight. Nothing to do, any blame to be attributed to Glenn Morris. And I guess Bowman's done his thing that forward should do and kept closing the ball down. Well, listen, no disrespect, Galbraith. So no, I'm not going to sit here and criticise Glenn. That's a stupid question. It's, of course, there's no thing. It's a team game. We've lost as a team. We was winning as a team and we've lost as a team. So we've got to grow up pretty quickly. Otherwise, it won't happen again. And you can't come to these places. You know, we could have been three or four. We could have been this, could have been that. But we wasn't. So we wasn't good enough on the night again to see the game out. Positives, though, John. Another goal for Max and a, a debut for, for Jake Hesketh, who looks a real quality player when he came on. Listen, they're the positive, but we don't need them, girl. I keep telling you, and I'm fed up with keep telling people and being asked the same stupid questions. They're not positive. They're, they're things we need to do. He does score goals. It's no good if he can go and get 100 goals. If we're letting him 50 the other end or not doing what we should be doing, waste of time for the interest of balanced reporting i should say that john yems yesterday did put out a, a video apologizing for that interview or at least i think he thinks he did would we it say starts off, it starts off with a very weird forced smile he then kind of apologizes before actually then blaming it on on the editing 
and and saying that he never said anything like that. It was one of the worst apologies I've ever heard. John, if you're listening to this and you don't like that, I'm afraid um, I'll probably never be interviewing you, but I am absolutely terrified of you anyway. But I think you should <laughs> treat journalists with a bit more respect after a defeat. But you can kind of see why John Yemmes was upset because, you know, you look at the game as a whole and they were very unlucky not to beat Exeter. They, they went to a side who are battling at the top end of the table who have serious promotion ambition, promotion ambitions. And, and we're better than them. We're the better side. And that should show that they are, this isn't necessarily going to be an easy game for Salford. Salford, you know, let's not um, look at the 3-0 win over Southend and give them over to, you know, give give them credit that they maybe don't deserve. Most teams do beat Southend at this level at the moment. They're one of the poorest sides in the division. And Salford have yet to really show what they're about so far. So we still don't know who's going to be Salford's long-term manager. It does look like it'll be Paul Scholes again on Saturday. And maybe this could, given how cruelly played, given the unjustness of the result and given Yems's reaction as well, could be a tricky one for Skulls and Salford. They are heavy odds on favourites at 7-10 to 10 with Paddy Power. The draw is 14-5. to 5. The uh, away team, cruelly, are 16-5. to 5. I'll be very inter- interested to see John Yems's reaction to this one, no matter what the scoreline is. Cannot wait for that post-match interview. Whatever the result, he's going to be on his best behaviour. I think we can all agree with that. Barrow versus Walsall is where I'm going in League Two this weekend. Paddy Power have got Barrow as the favourites here, seven to five, with Walsall seven to four, and the draw eleven to five. And that might be interesting to many listeners because Barrow are yet to win this season. They're yet to pick up their first. EFL win since being voted out of the division some 40 odd years ago but they haven't been playing badly and I don't think despite the fact they are towards the bottom they are a particularly poor side they've lost three and drawn four and I think they just need a little more nous potentially is that the sort of thing that you can gain over the course of the season possibly possibly David Dunn is still very early on in his tenure and still quite a young manager so potentially um, they need to work a little bit more on the game management side of things Barrow they were 2-0 up after five minutes against Bolton on Tuesday and in the end they couldn't hold on that game finished 3-3 but if you watch Barrow games and if you have a look at the stats it they're not being dominated at all and that gives me some hope and and Paddy Power putting them favourites for this game clearly makes them uh, agree with that Walsall by contrast haven't lost yet in League 2 but it's two wins and five draws and I always love a team at this stage of the season that's picked up a ton of draws because instantly I want to check out all of those draws and try and work out if they can give us an indication into how good or not a team is uh, with teams like this you, you take a look at whether they were winning draws if you will if they were losing draws or if they were just drawn draws to, to coin a phrase, because that can tell you if they maybe just need a little more luck or a bit of better finishing to turn one point into three when they deserve it, indicating a, a good side going forward, or whether maybe they're scraping draws from the jaws of defeat and probably aren't that good. Uh, I give a big build-up. Sadly, my analysis says Wolves will have had two winning draws, two losing draws, and one drawn 
draw. So to be honest, I haven't got a, a particularly strong conclusion here. But all of the teams they have drawn against Walsall, you'd say are top half teams at the very least, some of them promotion contenders. So I'd say there are plenty of positives, more so than negatives for Walsall this season. They've beaten Grimsby and Orient, teams in the bottom half who you'd probably expect them to beat. So I do feel like despite Barrow not being as poor as their points tally suggests. My feeling is that Walsall are the stronger side in this game, I reckon. Having said that, it would be quite nice, in a way, for stats purposes, if Barrow could get their first win and in doing so, inflict Walsall's first defeat. But not if Daryl Clark can help it. So those are the games we're most looking forward to in the EFL this weekend. A couple of derbies and a couple of other intriguing fixtures. Let us know what you think, what you think is the tastiest, most tantalising fixture in these three great leagues. At The Totally Show on Twitter is how to get in touch with us. And that's all for today's show. It's been such a busy week in the EFL that we had to uh, have a look at the midweek fixtures, pick out our best teams, managers, players from the midweek round of games. And we've looked ahead at the weekend as well. As ever in the EFL, it's breathless stuff at the moment. Hopefully you've enjoyed this pod. Make sure you tune in on Monday to hear what the guys say about the games we've spoken about today and so many more ahead of the EFL weekend. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you're subscribed. This has been the Totally Football League show, Extra Time, in association with Paddy Power. You've been listening to the Totally Football League show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and following at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.